electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Welcome to Closing Bell on this Friday. I'm Scott Wapner, live from Post 9 at the New York Stock Exchange. This make-or-break hour begins with the week that was and the rally that still is. So what now? With most of the mega caps in the Fed meeting in the rearview mirror, is it still safe to buy into this burst? We're going to ask our experts over the final stretch, including Fundstrat's Tom Lee, in just a moment. By the way, we also have Fed Chair, Fed Vice Chair Rich Clarida, the former Fed Vice Chair Rich Clarida, coming up in just a bit. First, though, your scorecard with 60 minutes to go and regulation looks like that. There is the Dow. It is higher. But look at the S&P and the Nasdaq. So as we ended halftime today, I was wondering out loud, hey, are we going to close above 49.50 on the S&P 500? I undershot that, I think. Are we going to close above 49.70 on the S&P 500? We'll see over the next 55 or so minutes. NASDAQ, obviously the big winner, Amazon, Meta, and those other stocks that are rallying, surprising not at all that it is the NASDAQ's moment to shine today as those stocks, look at Meta, best day in a year. Amazon helping too, following its own impressive earnings report. Apple, well, it's been a little volatile in the session following its own quarterly numbers. Even it, though, has moved green, and that says a lot about where this market is. Let's take a look at yields. They've been mostly higher after that much stronger than expected jobs report earlier this morning. All of it takes us to our talk of the tape, what it will take to keep stocks moving even higher from here. Let's ask Fundstrat's managing partner and head of research, Tom Lee. He is with us live today. Tom, welcome back. Thank you, Scott. Good to see you. Yeah, you too. Uh, This is a remarkable market. What is driving this and what is driving this continued acceleration as we hit this final stretch today? Scott, I I think 2024 is revealing the stock market is getting stronger uh, because it is proving to be extremely resilient. You know, last week, Tesla missed, fell 11 percent. The S&P was up for the week. This week, we had two big two big fangs miss and uh, disappoint. And the markets, of course, roaring um, as we end the week. It's a 14th consecutive week. I think it has a lot to do with one. The economy's incredibly resilient. The Fed, I think, has turned dovish. We don't know the timing of the first cut. Uh, Inflation, I think, is falling basically like a rock. And we know there's a lot of cash on the sidelines because there's over $6 trillion sitting in money markets. And yet the S&P, you know, is, is just in the last six weeks generated more return than an entire year of owning money market cash. Yeah, it's been unbelievable. So uh, March doesn't matter. I mean, is that, is that the lesson of this week? Uh, yes, I think. Um, well, I think it, the bond market really cares whether it's May or March. Uh, I, I think that the stock market really should just care that the Fed has gone from fighting inflation and almost giving the economy a heart attack to one where they're trying to manage the business cycle. So if they don't feel comfortable doing this cut in March and instead of May, I don't think it should have any effect on equities and how they do today. The interesting part, I guess, is what you allude to. It's sort of this change in focus of of the Fed. And I think Chair Powell alluded to this as much in the news conference when he cited, I think on multiple occasions, the strength of the labor market is not necessarily a bad thing anymore, so to speak. They don't feel perhaps as though they need to really lean on that 
to get inflation to come down because they've been surprised to the degree that it's already been coming down. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I mean, I think the biggest evidence this week was the ECI, the Employment Cost Index. You know, that number came in very tame. And Fed Chair Powell barely mentioned the labor market in the last press conference. I think it's because the job market is still adding jobs. I mean, today was a big surprise, but the unemployment rate's not really uh, falling precipitously, and it's not creating a lot of wage pressure. So it's so far, I think the labor market isn't going to be the source of the concern for the Fed. Yeah. What about the uh, broadening of, of the market? It's been slower than I think than, than many, probably you as well, ha- have expected. Why so? I, I think that the broadening of the stock market requires equity inflows. Um, I mean, we already know that for the entire month of January, retail investors were pulling money out of the stock market. Maybe they'll start to allocate in February, but the month that they did, which was December, we saw a spectacular move in the Russell 2000. Do I think retail investors are going to be taking money out of the stock market? And in fact, someone had showed me that margin debt now is down 20% from its highs. I mean, you know, if, if, if that's any signal to me, I, I think broadening is going to come really sharply, but it, it comes when retail begins to buy stocks. I mean, I'm thinking to myself, though, why get inflows now? We, we really get inflows. I mean, I don't know. The next stop on the S&P 500 feels like it's 5,000. Tom, the time for inflows seems like it's passed. And now maybe people are going to be reticent to move money out of, you know, money markets and and whatever else into equities at these levels. No. Uh, Yes, Scott. I mean, it's a course. The risk reward was better in October, but nobody wanted to own stocks October 2022 or October 2023. But there's also a lot of research showing that buying stocks at new highs isn't a bad thing. I mean, look at NVIDIA, right? If if someone would have sniffed at buying it at the new highs, then of course it's up another 40%. I do think you are correct that 5,000 as an important round number is a level we have to watch. I mean, that's, if this is a strong market, 5,000 won't mean anything. But in February, 5,000 could be you know, a short-term top before there's a big air pocket. I mean, that's a a level to watch. Yeah. Remind us of what your targets are. Uh, our year end for S&P is 5,200, but given how strong January was and what it implies historically, because usually the full year plays out in the first month, you know, I think 5,200 is probably a little low. You know, it wow. could be, yeah, much higher. So you don't think the market's too expensive here, as some are suggesting? You know, uh, expensive is in the eye of the beholder, excluding FANG. It's your... Investors are paying 15 times 2025 earnings. I don't think that's very demanding. So I I feel comfortable buying the S&P and even small caps here. Small caps, as you know, haven't really participated, but they're hugely levered to Fed cuts and very, very sensitive to investor inflows. And so I think there's still a lot of juice uh, in a lot of areas. You stick into your 50 plus percent return on small caps for this year? Yes, I think that's uh, I think that's a reasonable target. What we have to keep in mind is small caps on a price to book basis are trading at 44 percent of the S&P's price to book. That's the only time you ever saw that was 1999. That was the low, a 40 year low, and it started a 12 year launch point for outperformance. So I, I think the risk reward is very good for small caps. At what point do you get concerned about the mega caps, which you've suggested from the outset are the, are the place to be. You've, you've obviously been a thousand percent correct, but at what point do you say, okay, well, maybe this is a little much? Well, uh, it's going to be a judgment call because, you know, if someone asks me, 
you know, do you want to own these for five years because they have structural moats? I mean, absolutely. So I think how much of that five years gets priced in this year, I just don't know. You know, it's possible that the, the fangs could have a great year in 2024 and then, you know, consolidate for two years. I mean, that happened with Amazon, right? It consolidated for a few years and now it's really starting to break out. I think investors just need to buy those and, and really hold on to them. But I think there's still a lot of areas that haven't participated that could really start to outperform. Like what? Give, give, me, give, me, give me something. Well, for instance, I think when the Fed starts cutting, you know, investors are going to change their calculus around uh, financials and real estate because one of the biggest risks for commercial real estate is the, the risk of refinancing. Well, if the Fed's turning dovish, it's going to be easier to get investors willing to refinance these properties. That's really good for the banks and the regional banks. And of course, that's going to flow into small caps. So I think that the moment the Fed actually starts cutting, even though it's going to be widely anticipated, could be a really important point for some sectors. Well, all right, let's bring in Cameron Dawson now of New Edge Wealth and Alex Kantrowitz of Big Technology. Alex, of course, is CNBC contributor. It's great to have you both with us. Cameron, I'll turn to you first. Uh, to say Tom is bullish is an understatement, but he's been right. Mm -hmm. Will he still be? Well, I think that Tom's point about there still being room for people to get drawn into this market is a really good one. What we find in history is that valuations don't matter in the short term. They matter two, five years out. And what can lift valuations even higher, even on the S&P 500 index level, now at 20.4 times forward, that is expensive from a market cap weighting. But because there's still room for for allocations to move from about 67% to stocks back up to 71%, which was the peak we got in 2019 and 2021, that would suggest that there's still room for people to get drawn in. 5,200, he suggested, could be even conservative. Mm -hmm. When somebody says that, What's your reaction? I think that you have to make the assumption, if over 5,200, that not only the Fed is your very much friend, which would support valuation staying at this elevated level, and that you have an economy that remains resilient through 2025, because you have to see that earnings growth deliver for 424 at 10%, 25 at 11%. If there is doubt about that, then that's where that 5,200 plus will be become more of a challenge. That's a good point, Tom. So what about that? It's not so much so, you know, what have you done for me lately and what will you continue to do for me market? It's a what will you continue to do over a much longer stretch than I think some are thinking. Uh, that's right. Well, I think one point that we have to be aware of is it's actually not going to be what earnings get delivered in 2025. It's what the market believes can be delivered in 2025 by the end of this year, uh, because, you know, we still have 12 months after that. There's a I think a significant improvement in earnings visibility underway. 43% of the companies that reported earnings so far in the S&P are having 10% earnings growth. That's, it was 36% a year ago. The ISM hit 49 manufacturing, which is the highest since October 2022. That looks like it's breaking to the upside. That is highly correlated to S&P earnings growth and of course to cyclical, to the cyclical piece. And of course, we haven't had massive guidance cuts. In fact, so far, 79% of companies are beating results by an average of 6%. So it's been a good earnings season. Maybe the stocks haven't reacted yet. But if you ask me, can the S&P do 11% earnings growth next year? I think it could do better because we know that technology spend actually could accelerate pretty dramatically over the next couple of years as companies start to find applications for AI. So I, 
you know, I think 11% doesn't seem very demanding for next year. Uh, speaking of earnings, speaking of huge movers, uh, this Alex, this meta move uh, is extraordinary, to say the least. <laughs> What's your reaction to it? First of all, it must feel sweet for Mark Zuckerberg on Vision Pro Day. The story is meta going up 20%, having the device before Apple, beating the Apple ads embargo while Apple tries to get its device out and has disappointing guidance. So I think you have to be thrilled if you're meta. Obviously, it shows that Apple is no longer a problem for them. And very importantly, they figured out reels, right? And that's where I think when we talk about room to grow, that's where they have the room to grow. If they get uh, their hold on monetizing these short form videos and figuring out how to apply their data on that, that's an area for massive growth for Facebook, not only Facebook, it may be an Instagram at some point. And that's something that you have to watch in terms of Facebook's runway. It might not be the end here. What do you make of what this company's been able to do? Let's just call it over the last 18 months. From that day in about 18 months ago in October, where Brad Gerstner sends the letter to Zuckerberg and says, look, it's time to get fit and it's time to focus on what really matters. From then to now is hard to put into words. What would your words be? I mean, Brad Gerstner is totally entitled to his victory lap. I saw he was on halftime report and power to him, right? His letter that potentially sparked this within Meta. I mean, you look at the result, what was going on then and the results now. 22% less costs, 10 billion in incremental profit in, the, in this quarter alone. That's just unheard of. Yeah, that's crazy right there. 267.5% the gain in Meta stock since that letter. Um, what's the takeaway from you, Cameron, this week now that the mega caps but NVIDIA are in the rearview mirror? Earnings revisions are the most important thing in this market because what we've seen is that earnings revisions have been narrow. That defines why we've seen a narrow leadership in the market. But something like Meta has seen its earnings go from a $9 estimate for 24 to a $19 estimate for 2024. So what we can see is that the only two sectors that have had positive earnings revisions are tech and comm services. No wonder that's the market leadership. You can say the same thing about the equal weighted index. Equal weighted Earnings have been revised down about 7%, but the S&P is flat. Earnings revisions are absolutely imperative. I wonder, too, Tom, as to whether, you know, the, the fact that Apple has these issues in China, the stock was lower, and yet it, even it has turned around today. Th that has to be viewed in some corners as a real positive in terms of, of price action. Does that just continue to tell you that these stocks are going to trade as a group? You continue to call them fangs. Others call them the mag seven. At some point you thought, well, maybe we'll get some divergence between the group. Now, you could certainly say that, well, Tesla has sort of eliminated itself in the, for the time being from the mag seven by virtue of what's happened to that stock. But how would you view that? Scott, you know, I think the fangs of the mag seven are it's a very specific ecosystem. They're really widely held by hedge funds. There's enormous research and analytical support around them. They trade like water. I think any of these stocks, take Apple or Meta, they trade more in a day than the entire European, all the European equity markets combined. So I think when money flows into equities or people want to put on trades, they, they are just buying the fangs as a group. Uh, but of course, you know, the Russell 2000's 8% of the entire stock market cap, it's tiny. When investors start allocating to the Russell 2000, we could see explosive moves. So, yes, I, I think the, the market does move thematically. The FANGs is one thematic trade. You think we're going to get, Cameron, this, this broadening that Tom 
expects? I think it all comes down to earnings revisions. You look at the Russell 2000, its earnings had been cut by 20% over the last year. And on the positioning side of things, what's interesting is that Russell move that we saw over the course of the fourth quarter, what you saw is inflows into the Russell 2000 that were nearly equivalent to what we saw in the meme stock boost of late 20, 2021. So people chased the rally a lot. So what we say is that the market has to broaden um, and earnings revisions have to broaden this year. It's not a like to have, it's a need to have. And you don't think March matters or, or does, as long as, the, as, you, as long as you can see the path forward, right? Before it was too muddy. We couldn't really see anything. Now, now we can actually see a path towards cuts. Is that all that matters? Well, I think it actually still does matter. Look, the Russell 2000 is down today, despite what's happening in the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ. Small caps are effectively a leveraged bet on the 10-year interest rate. So if interest rates are biased higher because the Fed is slightly biased, a little bit more hawkish than what very dovish bond markets had priced in, then Russell will continue to struggle. These higher rates have had an impact at times on tech but not so much today. Alex, I turn back to you. Amazon's being overshadowed uh, by Meta, obviously, but its own gains today are extraordinary, too. You can take a look at, at what Amazon's done here. Highest profit level in, in two years. The guidance was strong. They've got these initiatives in AI in their own right with Anthropic and now Rufus. What's your take here? I love Rufus. Uh, Amazon is really difficult to navigate as a consumer. You try to find a product. You really struggle to find it. Imagine just being able to ask a conversational bot what, what you're going to buy and it will tell you. Like, that's great. I think it's awesome. And it's also Amazon being willing to sacrifice some ad revenue in service of a better user experience. You saw in Alphabet's call, Sundar talked about how Google responded. Here's Amazon being proactive and saying, even if it's going to cost us revenue in some ways, maybe hurts advertising a little bit, we're going to make our experience better. And their profits, $13.2 billion on the quarter, which is super high for Amazon, which we're not used to seeing big profits. It just shows that the company is changing, by the way, at the right time, when we're going to be outside of this world of zero interest rates and in a world where interest rates might be lower, but they're still going to be higher than they were. We need these companies to turn profit. And Amazon is looking at places like advertising, places like cloud, ser cloud services, and they're saying we're not going to be the no-profit company of the Jeff Bezos era. We're going to be the AWS company. We're going to be the entertainment company, the advertising company, introduce advertising into Prime Video. They're playing the game that the market wants them to play right now, and that's why we're seeing such a run-up. It's pretty interesting, too, that the way that the market is running up, especially in, in the NASDAQ, uh, and the other, by, by virtue of how big Apple is and its place in the, in the other indices, too, that it's uh, its ability to go up even if Apple doesn't. You know, Apple's a modest loser. What, what's your big assessment from the earnings report? I mean, there's an undoubted problem in China, right? And I don't know when that's going to get better. No, nobody truly does. What's our great takeaway from this report? Well, you talk about the market being able to rise when Apple doesn't. We have to say it's no longer the most uh, the, the highest valuation company. That's Microsoft talking like, do you want to have AI as your story or the Vision Pro as your story? AI. And by the way, that's what's leading the market right now. So I found Apple's results kind of concerning, and that's why they're so flat today, maybe up a little bit. When they guide towards another quarter of revenue contraction, what that's, what's that going to make? Five out of six. And by the way, this one I kind of think was a gift in terms of being able to ramp because they had a lot of iPhone that moved into the second quarter of last year, so their comp was actually easier to make. So they could be flat, but still, they're no longer the, I mean, they've always been such an important component in mm -hmm. this index. Mm -hmm. That influence is starting to be diffused a little bit. 
and Microsoft is picking up some of that slack. Is that a potential weakness, Tom, or a sign of strength for this market that it can withstand any you know, period of, of weakness from an Apple? I think it's a lot of strength, Scott. Um, you know, Apple's number two, Tesla's number eight, number two and eight, you know, had, didn't have great reactions to earnings. And yet the S&P is pushing on to all time highs. I, I, I would consider that not only strength, but it's an example of a broadening market, right? Because it didn't take the rest of the fangs down either. Highs of the day. You're looking at the S&P, Tom. We are right next to, uh, to you. We were anyway. And we're at the highs of the day. Uh, we're at 49.72 and a half. I appreciate you being with us very much, Tom. We'll talk to you soon. Cameron, thanks. And Alex, of course, thanks to you as well. Quite a day. Quite a week. We're just getting started. Up next, if not March, then when? Former Federal Reserve Vice Chairman Richard Clarida is with us next. He'll tell us what today's blowout jobs report signals to the Fed when cuts might be coming in his mind and how to invest around it. We're live from the New York Stock Exchange. Closing bells coming right back. You seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. Saving, researching, investing. Now you can take those investments to the next level with Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today. I have an investment account with Schwab and a 401k with Fidelity, and I use Yahoo Finance to consolidate them so it's incredibly easy to manage. They've been helping great investors like you for over 25 years. So whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking to level up, Yahoo Finance can simplify things, putting all your tools and data in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a 360-degree look at the financial news cycle, from breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, and customizable charts. They've got you covered. You can see all of your 401k and other investments by securely linking your brokerage accounts. Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you see your wealth in its entirety. That big-picture perspective helps smart investors become even better. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. Welcome back. We are rallying big time today on the heels of those strong results out of big tech, even with a stronger than expected jobs report, which maybe cements the fact that March is not going to happen, as Fed Chair Jay Powell suggested during his news conference. So maybe we really do need to move on from that. For better clarity, let's ask former Fed Vice Chair Rich Clarida. He is PIMCO Global Economic Advisor, joins us now. Good to see you. Welcome back. Uh, glad to be on the show. You, you told our producer on this segment that today's jobs report would be, quote, unwelcome news for the Fed. Why wouldn't it be exactly the opposite? Well, you know, the Fed is trying to engineer that soft uh, landing. And I think in their mind, 350,000 jobs uh, looks, uh, looks a little uh, robust, in particular, the tick up in, in average hourly uh, earnings. I also think, however, that uh, there are typically some seasonal factors in January. So I don't think this will carry a huge amount of weight, uh, but uh, they were certainly thinking of a, a little bit uh, softer landing than you would get from this report. But did, did you have the idea that, you know, what was once a we need to really hurt the job market from the Fed has clearly seemed to morph into a Look, we don't want to ruin a, a good thing, so it's a really delicate balance. It is, and you know, and I thought the chair was was very effective uh, the other day when he uh, indicated that uh, 
you know, the Fed welcomes uh, a strong uh, labor market, you know, evidence that uh, that we're going to be able to achieve the disinflation uh, that 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 they want. So, you know, the, the Fed actually likes a, a strong labor market, but they also want inflation to return to 2 percent. Were you surprised by what he said about no March, that he was as explicit or answered that question he was asked as explicitly as he did? I was a bit surprised in the press conference because a straight reading of the FOMC statement at two conveyed to me that, that he and the committee wanted that optionality. Uh, I'll give Jay Powell credit. Uh, he, he did say, I think, first person, I think it's too soon. So maybe other the other 18 folks have a different uh, view. But uh, but yeah, he certainly did convey his own uh, thinking there. And, and for what it's worth, I, I agree with that. I just don't think we'll have all that much more data between now and and March. Uh, and so if it made sense not to move in January, I think probably in March as well. Do you think it opens the door in any way to dissent some more fractured Fed, if you will, the debate becomes more rigorous in the room? That could well happen. I think I, it's been remarkable how, how unified the committee has been through what has been a challenging uh, period in terms of aggressive uh, rate uh, uh, hikes. Uh, but I haven't really picked up on that too much uh, in the in the speeches by the different uh, officials. So I think it's probably too soon to to worry about that. What makes sense to you then in terms of what's your own gaming this out? When does the first cut happen? I think especially after today, uh, June is looking like a pretty sensible uh, uh, meeting to pencil in. At, at the June meeting, there'll be a set of projections. They'll have a lot more data by then. Um, I think the committee has decided that they're done. The chair more or less confirmed that and that they are discussing uh, cuts. And so if I don't think it's March, it would either be May or June, and I would lead into June. Mm. How many do you think we get in total this year? I'm still in the three camp. I know that makes me boring because that's what they wrote down in September. But but uh, I think three cuts uh, beginning in June uh, uh, would be my baseline right now. What do you think their take is on what the stock market is doing? This rally is nothing short of incredible. New highs, obviously, new record highs. And we're close. We're, we're not just not that far away from S&P 5000. Does that make them uh, un uneasy, nervous? What? It's a good question, Scott, because, you know, as recently as November, they were citing financial conditions uh, directly in the statement. You may have noticed they took out any reference to financial conditions uh, in the in the statement uh, two days uh, ago. Now, of course, they're looking at financial uh, uh, conditions, uh, but they are also looking at credit spreads and other indicators. And so I think they're thinking that it's consistent with a soft landing. The chair won't use that term uh, yet, uh, but uh, I think right now that is, that's what they're, that's how they're interpreting it. Do you have any worry whatsoever that they wait too long to cut, that they're looking at either backward looking stuff or, or they're just too afraid to come to a consensus to move and it becomes too late and they do uh, undue harm to an economy that they never had to do that to in the first place? Uh I've heard those arguments. Um, I, I respect that to some extent, but I think given the data flow uh, that, that we're seeing, um, I, that, would, that would not be a front and center worry uh, uh, for me. I mean, I think we'll have enough indication of the economy slowing. And, and of course, you know, if the economy slows and inflation falls faster, as, as you'd expect, you know, they, they can move more, more rapidly. So no, I'm, 
I know I've heard that argument, but I'm not very uh, persuaded by it. But I, I could say, you know, I, I could look at offsetting things, if you will. I say, OK, well, today's jobs report is blowout. Why would they go in, in March? But then if you look at, you know, employment cost index, for example, or yeah. PCE, all of those are, are trending overwhelmingly in the place that makes the Fed most comfortable because they look at those metrics perhaps closer than, than anything else. So I could say, well, those would suggest why not March? And I think the answer, well, and I think the answer is, is that although the progress on, on inflation in the last six months has been welcome uh, and, and uh, remarkable, um, it's been driven largely by goods uh, inflation. Uh, services inflation is still running a little bit hotter than would be consistent with the target. No, but again, I think they are going to cut. They think they're going to cut. Um, and uh, they'll certainly, uh, given the data they're looking at, you know, May will be a live uh, a meeting. Uh, I think that's, that would be the way I'd sum it up. Any doubts in your own mind that they pull this off, that we have a soft or so-called no landing? Scott, I would distinguish between the no landing and the soft landing. I think with no landing, um, you know, uh, you, you don't really get inflation returning to 2%. So I think, um, I think look, there, there's always, this has been a cycle where we've been surprised. When I was there in 2021, we, we were surprised. And so you have to be a little bit humble about, about forecasting. But, but things, are looking, things are looking very, very favorable. Uh, uh, right, uh, right now, um, and and I think that 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 should be the focus. Well, you you allude to something, and I want to end on this: the the idea that if growth remains too strong, you can't bring inflation down to two percent, or that's the principal worry of the Fed. Um, is that necessarily true? And isn't the inflation data proving that it might not be? I think what I'd look at, Scott, is, is is it coming from improvements in supply? Now, we've had some really good news on productivity. Productivity is very noisy, but the last four to six quarters has been strong. We were getting good no news on labor force participation, but that's been sort of flatlining uh, recently. Um, and so I think that you can get strong growth in disinflation if it's coming from the productivity side. If it's coming from the demand side, uh, uh, then uh, then that's that's really what rate hikes are meant to uh, address. And so I think they are looking at the supply side pretty closely. That's why we have these words immaculate disinflation, right, which we're kicking <laughs> around. Because, yeah. you know, conventional wisdom would suggest to you, well, maybe inflation can't come down if you still have the yeah. growth. But in fact, perhaps it can. Mr. Claret, I appreciate your time so very much. We'll see you soon. Thank you. All right. That's Rich Clarida joining us there. Up next, we're tracking the biggest movers as we head into the close. Pippa Stevens standing by with that. Hey, Pippa. Hey, Scott. Well, a pop for one retail name, but a drop for another. We've got the moves coming up next. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs and the small dogs who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. With 25 minutes to go before the closing bell, let's get back to Pippa Stevens now for the stock she's watching. Pippa? Hey, Scott. Well, Clorox shares cleaning up today in the wake of a strong earnings report. The company said it's recovering well from a massive August cyber attack and is returning to regular inventory levels. 
Ugg and Hoka maker Decker's Outdoor is also surging today after a strong quarter. The company handily beat the street's estimates, and as a result, several Wall Street analysts, including Wells Fargo, are raising their price targets on the stock. But on the other side of the footwear industry is Skechers, which is seeing shares slide today after a mixed quarter. The biggest drag on the stock is light full-year guidance for both profit and revenue, though shares down 10 percent. Scott? All right, Pippa, appreciate it very much. Pippa Stevens up next. Rough ride for financials down 7% on the week. Now top technician BTIG's Jonathan Krinsky breaks down the charts. What risks he is seeing for that sector. It's coming up next. All right, we're back. The major average is set to lock in yet another week of gains, thanks in no part to the banks. The regionals are on pace now for the worst week since June. And our next guest, well, sees more downside risk from the financials from here. Joining us now, Jonathan Krinsky, chief market technician, BTIG. Good to see you again. Welcome back. Good to be here, Scott. Well, we're going to talk financials in a minute, but we got some stuff to clear up here. Now, there are multiple days, I think, in the last 10, for example, where you put out notes suggesting that the Nasdaq and the mega caps were especially vulnerable and that they were big risk of going lower. Here we are. We've done the mega cap earnings that proved not to be the case. I'm curious as to how I should take that if I'm an investor today. Yeah, well, I think, you know, one of the um, industries we were talking about was the Goldman VIP index, which is the 50 names uh, that they deem to be the most important to hedge fund clients. Um, And that recently got, uh, you know, one of the most extreme overbought readings we've seen in the last decade. Um, And previously, when that happens, um, sometimes it's imminent, but sometimes it can take a couple weeks. But in almost every instance, with the exception of, uh, you know, mid-December 2019, which led to about a three-week rally before some some turbulence with with every instance within the next few weeks it gave back all of those gains and then some and saw a decent correction so you know I think today's action um, some idiosyncratic uh, certainly there are some some very positive earnings news and some of those um, most important names but I think ultimately um, when you look across the landscape you're starting to see even within the mag 7 you're starting to see some signs of uh, of breaking that correlation right we know that Relative strength for Tesla and Apple peaked last summer. For Alphabet, that peaked last fall. And so three of the MAG-7 names are actually acting um, or underperforming the S&P. And so while it seems, uh, you know, that the, the four remaining names are, you know, almost invincible, I think um, as we get into the middle, later part of February, you're going to see some, some turbulence in some of those VIP names. But, I mean, the ones you mentioned, though, uh, under, have underperformed for fundamental reasons and, and nothing else. If anything, these stocks are proving to the market that they deserve to be rated where they are and have the price action that they've had, don't they? Yeah, look, I mean, those so those four remaining certainly have the momentum and the relative strength. So, um, you know, Meta, NVIDIA, Microsoft and um, uh, Amazon, certainly, uh, you know, those are the clear leaders right now. And, you know, even a pullback from this point certainly would not get them even back to where they were um, a few weeks ago. So I think the, the issue here really is, you know, what's what else can can we see rotation under the surface to, you know, to kind of make up for the falling of those other three. Um, you could argue there's a few other names out there that are trying to do that. And, you know, maybe it's uh, Broadcom, something like that. But I think you know, when you look at the index holistically and some of the uh, some of the exhaustion signals we're seeing, you know, we just think as you get into the middle part of February from from that perspective, you have to be a little careful. Why? Why are we picking on the financials today? What have you seen there that makes you a little nervous there? 
Well, look, the financial, you know, there's an old saying from false moves come fast moves. And if you go back, um, you know, just four or five days ago, it looked like the regional banks were actually poised to break out to the upside. Obviously, um, that didn't happen. You had, um, you know, a, a name that maybe triggered it. Um, and then here you have regional banks down 10, 11 percent quite quickly. And typically with the financials, like a lot of sectors, when you see weakness in the smaller cap names, which regional banks are, that tends to precede weakness in the larger caps. And we saw that almost exactly a year ago. So if you go back to a year ago, the regional banks started to show weakness in February. The large cap financials continued to show some relative strength, um, actually didn't peak out until late February. And then obviously um, everything fell together. So I don't think it's going to be as extreme by any means, but I just think when you have uh, you know, the, the large cap financials into overhead supply from, from their 2021 peak. Um, they were up, you know, nine days in a row coming into into this week. Um, I think, you know, just there's some risk for the downside for the large cap financials to kind of follow the regionals. I mean, we need to, to, to be, I think, careful, though, whereas, you know, where, where you cite almost, you know, a year ago, SVB was was out there, right? And that was the mechanism, if you will, Maybe this week it's New York Community Bank, but idiosyncratic stories don't necessarily mean the imminent demise of a group of stocks, especially if the market is thinking that the Fed's going to cut interest rates. I mean, the, the bond market has been voting for that regardless of what Chair Powell suggests. Yeah, look, we're we're not we're not saying anything like March of twenty three is is in the cards by any means. I think it's it's a function of you know risk award, you know some decent. You, you saw regional banks down ten eleven percent. Could the large caps have four five six percent downside? I think that's probably um, you know that's probably reasonable. And then I think the other thing is like where do you want to be? Where do you, what is tactical? What is timely right now? We would say you know financials are not a timely buy here. Other areas that are much more timely, I think, if you look at industrials or even healthcare, which is our highest conviction um, idea for this year, healthcare is actually um, the third best sector year to date, and it was the only sector in the first sector to hit a 52-week high uh, yesterday. So I think there's some subtle signs of leadership change. I just think financials probably are, are due for a pullback. To either look to uh, to other areas like healthcare in the meantime. Good to see you back, Jonathan. Thank you, Jonathan Krinsky, BTIG. Thanks, Coming up next, a highly anticipated IPO might have found its home. We got all the details after this break. Closing Bell, coming right back. Welcome back to Closing Bell. Reddit, one of this year's most highly anticipated IPOs, has found a home right here at the New York Stock Exchange, according to the Wall Street Journal. Interesting story. We'll follow there. The social media company confidentially filing, offering paperwork back in 2021, expected to unveil the filing as soon as the end of this month. CNBC has reached out to the stock exchange. They have no comment at this time. I mean, they can come sit right next to me on Post 9, me and Mike Santoli, and confirm it. Right, Mike? They could, if it were <laughs> official and they were ready. Yes, that's right. <laughs> All right. Up next, an activist is setting his sights on, or setting their sights on Mattel. We have those details and much more when we take you inside the market zone. We're now in the Closing Bell Market Zone. CNBC senior markets commentator Mike Santoli here to break down the crucial moments of this trading day. Plus, Courtney Reagan on the activist push to reshape Mattel. And Pippa Stevens on the earnings results moving energy stocks today. Mike, I begin with you. We had a nice little move here to end this week, 49.67. Yep. Meta? 
Well, yes. Uh, Meta, Tech, uh, Amazon, NVIDIA, of course. That's where the heft of the move is coming from. It's obviously not comprehensive. It's not all-inclusive. Uh, but, you know, you have 175 stocks making new 52-week highs in the New York Stock Exchange today. It's more than three or four times as many new lows. So it shows you there's participation. I think the market is able to take some comfort in a strong jobs number, even if we're not taking it purely on face value in terms of that magnitude of run rate of job creation. What I do think is um, you, you had this whipsaw effect where the bond market didn't know if it was supposed to be starting to discount a potential Fed mistake by not cutting in March. Doesn't seem like it's a Fed mistake now. The question is, are we just going to be in this suspended uh, animation period where it's like uh, either not hoping for the economy to weaken, but making sure that inflation isn't restarting. So, so far, earnings have clicked positive on the quarter in terms of year-over-year growth weight. That's the second straight quarter. Uh, everything else seems pretty tame. It's tough to find something specific and imminent to worry about, except, you know, and I was saying this for a couple of weeks, 5,000 on the S&P is where a lot of the trend lines lead us to, and it should be kind of a stop and, and reassess moment. We'll see if we get there. Let's get this news. I want your reaction to it, because this is just breaking. We do have some news on a face familiar to CNBC viewers. Morgan Stanley's Mike Wilson, a source confirms to me an internal memo went out today announcing Wilson will be leaving the investment committee. He'll be staying with the firm, I'm told, but it will be to work now with institutional clients. Mike, of course, on many of our programs on this network over the last several years, trying to navigate these markets with yeah. everybody else. Yeah, um, he's obviously been, you know, pretty conspicuous as somewhat fighting the overall trend at the S&P 500 index level. Now, he's been very wedded to the earnings path last year. You know, we actually had a struggle in terms of broad earnings growth. What I think was a surprise to a lot of people was the way the index itself found a way higher in an appreciable way. So I don't know what to make of this in terms of whether it really is going to be a change of tone in terms of strategic focus for the strategy piece uh, of uh, Morgan Stanley or not. You know, it creates this natural, like, are bears capitulating? Or are the firms where the bears were capitulating? Very, very much too soon to say that. Um, and that's always a longer-term process. You have seen some other strategists raise their S&P targets and essentially just try to, try to mark their opinion to market. I don't know that we have a, a moment here where you're really punishing people who've been cautious. You know, it's, it's he, like many, as I, as I suggested, tried to navigate and game out this new world of yeah. this Fed regime and thinking that, you know, I'm thinking of past notes. It was the fire and ice sure. note. Uh, it was the price is wrong. These suggestions that the market shouldn't be trading where it is relative to what was still to come from yeah. these you know, massive rate hikes that we had and in the short period of time and that ultimately it would take a toll. And in fact, it hasn't happened. There's also probably the underestimation of what mega cap would mean yeah. for the overall market and the ability at the index level right. to carry stocks to these levels we are today. It enabled, it enabled this, the market at the aggregate level, at the index level, to hold a premium valuation through an entire aggressive Fed tightening cycle and an earnings recession. Now, multiple came down a little bit, but uh, anybody who was, you know, thinking about the, the older relationships and the fact that, you know, we're trading at a premium and uh, we should probably have a little more of a, of a reset lower, you know, you kind of got uh, left behind by the, by the market. So I don't think there's any particular shame in it. No, no frameworks have worked perfectly during this cycle. It's been very odd. 
You know, normally you actually rally into the beginning of a Fed tightening cycle. We didn't even do that. The market just anticipated it, got it done with a 25% decline, and then it was up and away from I'm that. I'm also told, uh, again, according to a source, that Lisa Shallot, another yeah. uh, name who's very familiar and a face who's familiar to this network, I think was on as recently as last week on, on one of our programs, is going to assume that. Who that has title. been cautious as well. So very similar, I think, framework. Uh, so maybe it's not really a change necessarily in in actual direction of advice. Yeah, so we'll continue to follow uh, that story. Wish Mike well, of course, in this new endeavor at Morgan Stanley. Courtney Reagan's following Mattel activism. What's going on? Yeah, so shares up around 5% today after activist investor Barrington Capital sent a letter to Mattel urging numerous changes. Barrington pushing them to explore options for its American Girl and Fisher-Price brands, separate the roles of CEO and chairman, pause stock-based compensation that it calls excessive, also asking for a $2 billion stock buyback. Now, Mattel tells CNBC in part, look, it, it looks forward to engaging with Barrington as we do with all of our shareholders. We welcome this initial outreach and we're reviewing the letter. The toy maker does report its fourth quarter and full year next week. So we'll get a little bit better idea of the direction of some of those brands and see if they say anything more. Back over to yeah. you. All right. We appreciate that. Court, thanks. Caught me looking at the market here. I see the Dow up 150. S&P 500 still looking for that close above 49.50. We'll probably get that at this point with uh, less than a minute to go here, 49.60. Um, there are some bears still who are hanging on to this story that cuts aren't coming as fast as you right. think. Higher for longer is ultimately going to take a toll. Market's too rich for where earnings truly are sure. outside of the a very select few stocks. Absolutely. If you think there's a good chance that the hot jobs number today was a, was a real head fake, and I mentioned earlier, one year ago, we got a half a million job print for the January number, and it was nowhere near that thereafter, then, yeah, you should worry about the Fed potentially waiting too long, not listening to the decline in hours worth, maybe some of the layoff news. But for now, I think we're a long distance from really getting to that point where it seems critical. All right, bells ringing, marking a new record high for the S&P 500, 49, let's call it 49.58, 49.60. That's where we're settling out today, this final day of a very busy week. I'll see you next into OT. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.